This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. The week's most interesting interviews with senators, commentators, and newsmakers. Giving you a replay just in case you missed it. The Guy Benson Show. Former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is out with a brand new book, Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. And Mr. Secretary, it is always great to have you here on the show. Welcome back. Guy, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. So you give a lot of advice in terms of public service and defending American interests in this book, Never Give an Inch. And I sometimes like to zoom out and talk to someone who has not just the experience as Secretary of State, but CIA director, congressman. When you look at your public service thus far and your career in this space thus far, what would you say is the most significant legacy that you have contributed to in your mind? Okay, boy, it's, it's hard to know, and I don't spend a lot of time yet thinking about legacy. But if, if you look at the book, Never Give an Inch, it's a, it's a theory of public service. It says, look, it, there are things that, that we can compromise on, but there are a handful of things. Uh, America is the most sex, exceptional nation in the history of civilization, the, the greatness that our founders bequeathed to us. You just have to stay at it. You can't give an inch. And so if you look from my time as a young soldier now, goodness gracious, almost 40 years ago, through my time as a member of Congress and then CIA and state, in each of those places, I was every day trying to do my best to deliver on behalf of the American people. I was I was fearless. I was relentless. Um, I didn't get it. We didn't get it right every single day, but we were determined to put the American people in a place that made their life and that of their children, grandchildren, more prosperous and more secure. And I think for those who enter public service, there can't be any higher expectation. Thinking specifically about the foreign policy of the Trump administration, which in many ways was quite different than what we're seeing now under the subsequent administration, is there something that you think is the top Trump-Pompeo foreign policy legacy at the top of the list? We were four years of reminding the world that America can be strong and can deter aggression around the world, and it doesn't have to send the 82nd Airborne every day or 40,000 soldiers someplace to do it. Okay, we were we had a, we had a model that was just fundamentally different. We we didn't we didn't we weren't expeditionary, we weren't expansive, but we didn't allow any new wars to start for four years. And you know we. We, we deterred through American power and strength. We crushed the caliphate. We pushed back on Chairman Kim. We were the first administration to acknowledge the threat from the Chinese Communist Party. Putin didn't invade Ukraine. We have four significant peace deals in the Middle East, all of this without significant military conflict. I think that is a an achievement that looks and feels like the Reagan legacy, right, which is peace through strength actually can work. And if you look at what's changed these past two years, I think it's the absence of that strength. Ukraine comes up a number of times in this book, Never Give an Inch. There is this moment now, Mr. Secretary, 
in American politics, especially on the right, a certain element of the right in U.S. politics, where there's a growing sense that maybe Ukraine has gotten enough support from the U.S., it's not really in our national interest to continue to support the Ukrainians if it ever was. Uh, some, I would say, wrong in my mind, equivalencies between Putin and Zelensky. There's just some people saying, you know, it's not our fight. I know we don't have boots on the ground, but let's just stop spending money there. You know, who's really to say who's in the right? I wonder how that kind of talk strikes you based on your experience. And if you think that's wrong-headed, what American interests are at stake right now in Ukraine? So, guy, yes, there, there's always been an element of the conservative movement that has been, call it uh, isolationist, call it un unwilling uh, to do what it is we're doing in Ukraine today. Um, I think they fundamentally just misunderstand risk to people right here at home in the United States, uh, to your point about American interests. Uh, Xi Jinping is watching what's taking place in Ukraine. Uh, Vladimir Putin has no intention of stopping in Ukraine. He will. He will. He's told us as much. He will continue to advance throughout all of Europe. And we have deep interest in helping a, a sovereign nation defend itself. They haven't asked for our soldiers. They just want our stuff. And you can see what happens to the American economy when we allow Russia to gain power and influence. When authoritarian regimes are on the rise, the American people suffer here at home. So while I, I, I wish it was as easy as saying what happens, saying that what happens in Kiev stays in Kiev, that's just simply not the case. Ask any Kansas farmer who grows red winter wheat. You can see the impact on fertilizer price, on farm implements. You can see that these things very quickly begin to have impacts on ordinary families all across America. Uh, we should have done more. We should have done more faster. We should do more faster tomorrow. We need to bring this war to a conclusion as quickly as we can in a way that gets us true permanent peace in the region. When someone of your stature is writing a memoir where there's really a lot of nuggets to be shared, really spanning years, when the book comes out, inevitably there are some interesting little morsels and nuggets that people say, okay, that's kind of juicy. And I'm always curious about sort of the thought process of what someone like you would include in a book or not include in a book. Uh, obviously, you tell some candid stories about your interactions with all sorts of world leaders, including former President Trump. Uh, you also take what some people are describing as a couple shots at someone like Nikki Haley, who served in the administration with you. You refer to her as a bit player in the administration, not a team player, uh, suggested at least a theory that she was trying to maneuver to become the vice presidential nominee in 2020. She's come back saying this is lies and gossip just to, uh, to sell a book. I just wonder how you kind of think through the process of what you want to say in a book like this, knowing that it's going to rankle some people. <laughs> Again, that's a really good question, uh, because I thought about this a lot as I was writing it. There are things that I didn't include there that would have been interesting, might have sold a few more books, would have been a great story or great headline for someone. But I didn't include them because I didn't think they captured the narrative of what it was I wanted the American people to know about my optics on the four years of the Trump administration. Uh, look, we, we were challenged in lots of ways. We suffered under the Russia hoax for the first two and a half years. And we had lots of people who didn't want to be part of it, conservatives who said, nope, I don't want to be part of the Trump administration. That's too hard. Everything Donald Trump touches turns to ash. You're, you will be diminished in the world. Mike, your stature, people would tell me, Mike, your stature will fall. But what I wanted to tell was a story that said, no, the folks who were on the mission, the folks who could separate uh, the noise from the signal 
and put their helmet on every day for four years to get after protecting America. Uh, we delivered. And, and those, those who chose differently chose not to be part of the administration or who, when the going got tough, decided, you know what, I'm going to go do something different. Um, I included some of those narratives because they were part of the challenge we faced. Putting the right people in the right places matters an awful lot to presidents. And it was very difficult for all of us to get the team on the field in the way that we needed to. Obviously, it's no secret that you're at least testing the waters of potentially running for president in 2024. You haven't made any sort of decision, but let's be honest, you're sort of doing some of the things that people tend to do when they're seriously considering it. I guess one question related to what you were just saying, you know, was there some pre-positioning in the book against potential rivals, which is why you included certain things in the book, A, and B, if you are indeed seriously thinking about throwing your hat in the ring for 2024, what does that process look like? What does that timetable look like? I'd imagine uh, your wife will be a crucial data point on whether or not this is something that you pursue. I'm just wondering how you're thinking about that. No, indeed, Guy, and you've met Susan. Yeah, she will, she will be, she will have, a, she will have more than her fair share of say in that. Um, I don't doubt that. And patriot, and if we think this is the right time, I'm confident she and I will both decide it's the right thing to do. You know, your earlier point, I didn't write this book uh, as a memoir. It's it's not a story of my life so much as it is the uh, four years. Uh, in fact, it was supposed to run in August, but the author didn't get the manuscript done in time. Uh, and so, you know, he was, he, he was behind the power curve. Uh, you know, it's interesting you, you talk about that. This wasn't intended to go after anybody who might potentially be running in this race. In fact, there were things, stories that I contemplated having in and I pulled out because I thought people might say just that. And I, I didn't want that. I wanted this to be an important, positive story about how you take risk, how you deliver for the American people. And, you know, a couple of things have been picked out. I, I kind of regret that. Maybe I, I should have pulled them. Um, but it is important for the American people to see all that was going on inside what was an incredibly unique I mean, right, this was an incredibly unique administration. I, I ran a machine shop in Wichita, Kansas. There'll never be another CI director who ran a machine shop. This was this was a unique administration. I wanted them to see that warts and all. Mr. Secretary, you and I, one of the most memorable trips of my life was when I accompanied you and your delegation to Russia, uh, to Sochi, where you met with your counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, and then also Vladimir Putin showed up uh, unexpectedly, at least to the press corps. All of a sudden, there he was in the room. And it was eye-opening. It was a little bit unsettling at times, being in Russia. I remember, the reason I mention this is I remember very distinctly the many sort of processes and protocols that were in place on that trip when it came to securing sensitive information and potentially classified information or even just our personal information, we really had to jump through some hoops going to Russia, being on Russian soil. We also have protocols here at home when it comes to sensitive material. And of course, one of your predecessors, the Secretary of State, famously had a huge scandal on her watch with her secret email server that was unsecured and had top secret information on it. We've now seen back-to-back -back presidents embroiled in something like this, former President Trump, the whole Mar-a-Lago issue, and now this ongoing rolling scandal involving President Biden where we got even more information just this past weekend, yet more classified material found uh, in his private home where it should not have been. Can you just first, for our audience, talk about what taking 
classified material seriously actually looks like? Because the White House says Biden takes it very seriously. Obviously, the actions don't line up with that. In terms of the way that you went about that, what does that look like in practice? Okay, that was that was a remarkable trip to Sochi, and you're right. We asked not only the media that was there, but the government officials, my team that was traveling, all had uh, a very strict set of protocols about how to protect the information that we were all traveling with. Uh, and this holds true here in the United States as well. Every one of us who sees uh, sensitive or classified documents has a signed agreement that says they will handle it properly. I cannot for the life of me figure out how uh, as a senator, President Biden appears to have gotten documents out of the uh, Capitol Hill skiff. I was on the Intelligence Committee when I was a House member. It just seems implausible to me. Uh, but if, this is serious stuff. This, uh, w w there's often people, oh, stuff's overclassified. Maybe that's true. But if that material is marked classified, you have a responsibility to handle it in a very precise, very careful way. And it appears that uh, not only did President Biden, but President Trump, and I served on the Benghazi committee. I can affirm that Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, didn't do their basic responsibility to protect uh, the American soldiers who, and the American sailors and Marines whose information or whose lives could be at risk if this information gets into the wrong hands. When you hear the current president of the United States, in light of everything that has come to light over the last two weeks, look into the camera and say, as he did, I believe, on Friday, that he has no regrets and there's no there there. This is before the latest there dropped. What's your reaction to that? It's heartbreaking. I suppose I have other reactions too, maybe anger as well. Uh, I, I suppose it's possible that some point in time accidentally I had classified information and I got it to the wrong place. I, I, I suppose it's possible. Um, I did my level best to make sure, but had I found out that I did, if someone said, Mike, you had this at the wrong place, I would have an enormous amount of regret. I would be enormously focused on finding out what it was, how it got to the wrong place, how to make sure it never happened again, and to the extent it created any problems, making sure I did everything I could to mitigate the harm that I may have imposed on someone. To hear a president say that, just blithely write this off as I have no regrets, suggests an ungroundedness and unseriousness, and someone who ought not to be handling classified information. If you're not going to take it seriously, if you don't believe this is your duty, then you ought not to see it. Secretary Pompeo, I was also eager months ago to read Attorney General Barr's book, his memoir. I thought it was excellent. We had him on the show. Uh, I've been eager to read your book, and I've enjoyed what I've read already so far in Never Give an Inch. Sometimes, and you said it's not fully a political memoir, although you are in some ways talking about things that you've drawn on throughout your life and your experiences, particularly in the Trump administration, for people who aren't necessarily inclined to buy and read this type of book, but at least have enough interest that they're listening to a show like this one, what would be your pitch to them why you think Never Give an Inch is, you know, worth plunking down a couple dollars for? Oh, goodness. Uh, two things. One, there's some great spy stories. Anybody who loves spy stories ought to take a yep. look at this book. If you've watched The Americans, if you've ever watched Jack Ryan, uh, you get a chance to see uh, some, not all, but some of the amazing work that our CIA officers do around the world. Real stuff, day. real life stuff. Real, re real stuff. The, these are serious people who want nothing more than to put the dagger in their teeth and get out there and protect America. I guess the second thought is uh, the, what I spend a lot of time talking about is leadership, and that probably applied to my time in business. Uh, it certainly applied to my time at CIA in the State Department, and the challenges leaders face and how one can think about confronting those challenges, the organizational and leadership challenges, the ethical challenges, 
uh, everyone who works has a boss. Um, I, I speak to those in ways that I think are universal and go far beyond American national security. I think they are, I think they are, at least I hope they are, insightful for folks who are uh, leading small teams or big organizations in whatever walk of life, in a church, in a synagogue, or in the business world. Former Kansas Congressman, former CIA Director, former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, our guest. His book is Never Give an Inch, freshly out, available everywhere, subtitled Fighting for the America I Love, and how that might take shape in the future, I guess we will see. Mr. Secretary, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time today. Guy, thank you, sir. You have a good day. That was this week's edition of the Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.